My father, the Padishah Emperor, took me by the hand one day, and I sensed in the ways my mother had taught me that he was disturbed. He led me down the hall of portraits to the ego-likeness of two Guido Atreides. I marked the strong resemblance between them, my father and this man in the portrait, both with thin, elegant faces and sharp features dominated by cold eyes. Princess daughter, my father said, I would that you had been older when it came time for this man to choose a woman. My father was 71 at the time, and looked no older than the man in the portrait, and I was but 14. Yet, I remember deducing in that instant that my father secretly wished the Duke had been his son, and disliked the political necessities that made them enemies. From In My Father's House by the Princess Irma. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. So this chapter is chapter 15. It's a big chapter, um, big chapter. In, our, in our first Dune book here. Yeah. And I just want to say one more time for everybody listening, if you've been listening since the beginning, uh, I've read Dune probably four or five times, uh, and as well as the Dune Encyclopedia. And Evan, how many times have you read Dune? I have read Dune zero times. I have read Dune for our viewers this many times. Maybe uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you, you're, on, you're on chapter 15. Yes, yes. I've read that that much times. Whoever can so send I, me the decim, the decimal number of how many times that is. On my Kindle, it says twenty percent. So we're twenty percent oh. of the way through the book. There you go. I've read twenty percent of Dune. And uh, what what's your overall takeaways at this point so far? What's happening? Oh, uh, like in like in the story, like what's yeah. going on? Uh huh. Well. The homie Paul used to live in an Eden planet called Caladan, which was really freaking dope and lush and full of water and a sneaky emperor and a really fat baron made his dad move his whole operation to a big desert planet called Arrakis. And it's dangerous and there's giant worms. And uh, basically death is around every corner at all times. And everyone has plans within plans to kill everyone else who also has plans within plans. And uh, some of the ladies have some crazy, crazy superpowers that make them able to do basically anything ever. And uh, that's about it. Yeah, that was a great assassin yeah. that can also do anything ever. So Yes. Right. <laughs> that, that, that's a really good summary. <laughs> cool. Great. That was, yeah, A+. Plus proud of myself yes so this chapter um it kind of goes back and forth like literary styles like it doesn't happen from a to b there's a bunch of like time jumps in between where we get people's thoughts mm. which is i think it, it's kind of trying to spell out the importance of what's happening in this one chapter because uh this is the chapter where we get to see our first sandworm yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Maybe I missed it. I didn't pick up on any time jumps. I did pick up on uh, maybe consciousness jumps. Yes. You know, is that is that what you're talking about? Right. So we're talking like what characters think about other characters. Yes. Okay. Okay. Like before and after, like first glances, and then like conclusionary thoughts after, like when they leave the room. Right. 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 So for Lost, you know, where it's oh like, no and we're suddenly back in los angeles you know <laughs> no 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 nothing like that not quite yet paul does not have any dreams in this chapter because uh, oh. you know in the beginning he was seeing dreams like the, yeah, uh, he, had the, he had the dream of the girl with blue with him blue eyes yeah and everyone was kind of freaked out but he was like what i'm just having a dream what the heck right and the reverend mother is like do your dreams do you do this? Does this happen often? He was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how casual Paul is about like basically being this like completely unique, superhuman, crazy person. <laughs> I don't think he knows that yet. Right. But it's, yeah, it's standard. It's his normal as being the superest person. The superest person there. Uh, yeah. Well, it's because he doesn't have anybody to compare himself with. He's the only kid. <laughs> right. I guess. Like there's no one to bully him into thinking he's lesser than. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So let's go for this quote. Um, it's from another book by the princess Irulan. Yeah. Um, so now we now have kind of seen that princess Irulan is the emperor's daughter. Yeah. Which there was no mention of that before this. Right. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, what? That's, That's the princess of, okay. Yeah, of the whole imperium. The whole joint, dude. Um, and I think what's interesting about this quote, because the quotes at the beginning of each chapter, like jump around, some are historical, looking back over hundreds of years. Some are, some are songs, but it's mostly like reflecting backwards on time. Um, this one, I think, is happening at the exact same time. Oh. At the, yeah. Okay. So the quote was written when this incident took place. Yes. Interesting. So as um, Paul and the Duke are getting introduced to Kynes and they're having their visit, you know, the emperor is walking Princess Irulan down these halls saying, gosh, like, if only this could work that you could marry him. Because right, he, the Duke has been lamenting that he never married Jessica because he had to keep the option open politically. And this would have been a great option. But however, she's not of age yeah. at this point. And so it's just, and they, the emperor and the Duke are political rivals, even though they admire one another. Right. So it's like, ugh. and there's this sense that like, gosh, I really wish we didn't have to do this to this Duke. We really like this Duke. Man. And, that's and kinds of, and kind of said the same thing at the end of the chapter. Like, I really like you for some reason. I didn't want to like you. Because why wouldn't you like the Duke Leto Atreides? He is the man in all senses. I mean, he yes. kind of loses it sometimes, but. Like every man does. Right, right. Yeah. All right. So this chapter, um, we're going to start with right, right off the bat. I think this is kind of one of those time jumps we was talking about where I think. I think this quote at the very beginning um, 
of the chapter kind of talks how what kind is thinking out afterwards. He's reflecting back on his first encounter with the Atreides. He says, his first encounter with the people he had been ordered to betray left Dr. Kynes shaken. So this was a kind was a stop uh, stopgap. Gotcha. Like it's part of Piter's plan that the ecologist is supposed to come in and try to kill the Atreides. Right. So if something were ever to happen, you know, when the troops come in and they leave or whatever, the doctor, the ecologist is supposed to stop them and make sure they don't survive. So Dr. Kynes has been ordered to kill them. He prided himself on being a scientist to whom legends were merely interesting clues pointing towards cultural roots. Yet the boy fitted the ancient prophecy so precisely. He had the questing eyes and the air of reserved candor. Of course, the prophecy left certain latitudes to whether the mother goddess would bring the Messiah with her or produce him on the scene. Still, there's some odd correspondence between prediction and persons. So with the missionary protectiva, right, that the Bene Gesserit have kind of put into place and stilled over the hundreds of thousands of years that they've been doing it, um, we, we only get the side of Paul and Jessica who've just kind of like stumbled into this. Yeah. We don't get to see the Fremen side, right, as they're shouting Madi, Madi in the streets. Like, they know that Jessica's a B'nai Jesuit. Is this the chosen one? Is this the one that will take us out of oppression? Is this the one? He met, and, and the, the Dr. Kynes is, uh, you know, he's got one foot in, one foot out of Fremen culture. He doesn't want to really want to believe all of this religion, but somehow it matches so perfectly. Right. He seems so, like, entrenched in the culture just because he's been around it for so long. And he's even he's he even has the the blue eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like he's so deep into it that he's starting to go native, as they said in the book. Yes. So we'll back it up a little bit more here. Like so um in the appendixes at the end of the book, they talk about um kinds as father, Pardo Kynes, and he was then sent by the emperor to Arrakis to be their ecologist. Uh And he loved the idea of seeing Arrakis as a project. Like, how could you make a desert planet into an Eden, an oasis? What would you need to do? What would you need to go for? And so he knew the only way to do this was to, like, get in with the Fremen, and so um, one day he was walking through the town and saw the Harkonnens beating up on some Fremen kids, and he decided to kill the Harkonnens in order to get them to stop. And the Fremen kids are like, whoa, why did you do that? Like, we had them. I'm like, I don't understand. Okay, but now we kind of owe you a life debt, a water debt, so I guess you can come back to the CH. So he gets brought him back. And then he like, he starts to see it like, oh my gosh, if we just had this and this, this is how we could turn this whole place into an Eden. And the Fremen are like, no way. Are you serious? Like, is this something we can actually do? 
and they're very they're the fremen are a religious culture as is and so one of them was sent to assassinate him and so as he's walking up he's got the knife in his hand about to stab kinds in the back kind sees him in the middle of the lecture he's giving because he's a scientist he says remove yourself and then continues talking and the guy just goes huh ends up turning the knife on himself and falling on it and killing himself, thus to remove himself from the equation. The Fremen then see this as an act of God, that God has sent kinds to the people to tell them how to rebuild their planet. So, of course, then kinds goes literally native, and the offspring is the kinds we meet here, where they've set together all the plans in motion to turn Arrakis into a Eden that may take 500 years, but they've got the things in place, the little wind traps, they're collecting water. They've started to introduce flora and fauna. The hawks you might see in the chapter or the mice have now been introduced to that keep the, the everything kind of moving because he views the whole system as a closed system that all needs to work together in place to, to grow. And once you hit a certain tipping point, everything kind of like moves forward Whoa. and cannot be stopped. Whoa. So that's where Kynes is coming from. That's his dad. Okay. So, so wait, no, wait, <laughs> Kynes, Kynes did all this or did Kynes' dad do all that? Kynes' dad did all this. And now okay. um, the person we meet now is the person that, is carrying on the legacy. So he has blue within blue eyes. He's okay. got everything that he is in part of the culture. And he have kind of took his father's role from the emperor to saying, I'm already here. I'm already doing the thing. I'll be your man. Okay, cool. So he, so they have that whole kind of scheme working with the Fremen, like the Fremen are working with kinds to like make that all happen. Yeah, that's 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 the Fremen ultimate goal. So that's their plan. That'd be such good context to have while reading this chapter, but it's it's <laughs> nowhere in there. No, nowhere in there. No, no, yeah, that's on the back of back of the book. I'm here to give context to you as you've read it now to understand the deep complexities of why the characters are doing certain things. Right. I'm just mad at Frank. Like Frank. <laughs> At least put an asterisk in there, man. Like, what are you doing? Check Appendix A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's that's who Kynes is. Okay. Um, and so now we know that the Emperor has relayed a message to him. By the way, if anything goes wrong, kill the Duke. Just kill the Duke. Make it look like an accident, but you can kill him. Yikes. Um, yeah. So this is, we're on the second morning here in Arrakis. Um, and so you can see Kynes walking with his guards up to the landing pad where there's a ornithopter kind of sitting there. And he sees um, there's guards sitting next to the entrance with their shield generators on and they're buzzing. And he was like, ha, well, you know, Arrakis is going to show them what shield generators are like. Right. Like, little do you know, this is my planet. I know how it all works. This is not going to work. Are you doing this? He's letting him walk into it. 
for our Lord of the Rings uh, fans that are listening, is he being a little bit of a Denethor right now? Um, kind of like he, he thinks he should be the one in charge, and this new guy's showing up, and I, no I know, more just sit upon the throne of Gundor, kind of thing. No, more of like an arrow mirror. Like I am the one who should be in charge, but no one's letting me be in charge. And I know he feels like what he is doing is completely right. Right. That's what. That's what I meant. That's what. That's what I was. <laughs> that's what Denethor was all about. <laughs> but Den- yeah, but Denethor is was never supposed to be there. Kynes, I think, almost has the most rights to be there. Right. Okay. Cool. Right. Um, so, you know, he walks up, he lets his Fremen guards go by, um, the doors swing open, the Atreides guards come in and behind them walks a tall man, hawk faced, dark of skin and hair. He wears a cloak with the Atreides crest on the breast and he wore it in a way with unfamiliarity of the garment, right? The still suit kind of clung to his legs on one side and it wasn't, didn't quite fit right. Could you imagine? Like, he's like picking a wedgie. <laughs> right, yeah, the spandex is just a little awkward in places. Right. And, you know, you have this ruler that wants to walk in with authority, but he's, you know, walking with his, like, shirt on backwards. Could you imagine? Like, that? they have no idea what they're doing. I just picture, and, like, I went to the danger zone as they're, like, walking out, you know? Wanting to be as cool as possible, but knowing that none of their suits fit right. Leto's just picking a wedgie in the slow motion, like. <laughs> but yet, Paul's still suit is—he's uh, wearing it much more casually. Yeah. And you would make—you would made to think that Paul would always wear these clothes. Which, bam, prophecy in Kind's head: the Mahdi will be aware of things others cannot see. Right, it's like crazy it, the amount of prophecy that everybody, all of like these people in, uh, just like Fremen, I guess in general, they know every little prophecy, and like I mean, it's time that they're like, <gasps> you know, it's in all their songs. It's probably it's in every like cultural right. It's in everything. Right, the Bene Gesserit just weaved it all in. Hmm. And then kind of shakes his head. They're just people like I need to kill them. I don't need to be thinking about messiahs. Um, he, he, he's trying to convince himself like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, he's not. It, I need to remember logically that. But he keeps seeing sign after sign that this kid is the messiah. You know, that he's Lazan El-Gaib. Oh, I got the shakes. All right. Um, right. <laughs> And then he sees Gurney and he's remembering how Gurney and Halleck had questioned him all night, trying to pick his brain and telling him how to address the Duke. And he's just like, God, like soon you will know. I am, I am the master here. And they want to know about the Imperial bases. Of course, the bases are where Kynes has been working on all of his stuff to fix the planet. Like, so he, of course, doesn't want them in there. And of course, Idaho told them, or, you know, Stilgar told Idaho and Idaho told the Duke. I love the little, like, thought Kynes has. I'll have Stilgar send Idaho's head to the Duke. Like, well, that was fast. 
Yeah. He's being real evil at the beginning of this. And it's cool seeing how like his attitude unfolds throughout the chapter. Yes. All right. It's a big chapter. So we'll just kind of move forward through here. They get acquainted. The uh, kinds like Duke's like, you're the, you're the ecologist, right? Kinds like, no, I prefer the term planetologist. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the first thing, of course, Paul looks at and sees and is like, Hey, are you a Fremen? Like, Paul just wants to know if, who are the Fremen here and how are they different? And Kind smiles and says, yes, I'm accepted by both in the, C- in the CH, in the cities. I'm also, you know, part of in his majesty's service. And Paul is like, oh, like in his mind, it's like, you're the guy who runs stuff here. Mm. And so today is the day that Kynes gets to show the Duke and Paul kind of over the shield wall. What does it look like for a spice factory to run? This is their, this is their field trip. Yeah. So um, they started, they kind of look at their still suits. And then the Duke is like, you know, I don't think you would have let us off, you know, out of uh, Arakeen if we didn't wear these. And Kynes like, yes, like you would die. Yeah, yeah it's super hard if you didn't wear these. And then the Duke is like, but we bring plenty of water. Like, I don't understand. Do we still need to wear them? And he's like, yes, you still need to wear these. Um, and then, you know, the Duke does a humble brag where he says like, oh, yeah, these are uh, these are Fremen ones. You know, because kinds of given them the suits. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we'd burn plenty of water. And then Kynes kind of stares at stares at him, right? Because he's like, if we get set, we get knocked down, like we're gonna have water or something. We need to make sure we have an escort. And Kynes stares at him, seeing the water fat flesh. He spoke coldly. You never talk of likelihoods on Arrakis. You speak only of possibilities. <laughs> And then Halleck stiffens up. The the Duke is to be addressed as Lord or Sir. Like, you forgot how we scolded you for two hours to get that right. Why didn't you get it right? (laughs) (laughs) And so then um, Kynes kind of said, like, yeah, these suits, um, we kind of gave to him. Leto said, these suits and the consideration for the welfare will be remembered. Like, thank you very much. And right away, on impulse, Paul called a quote to his mind from the OC Bible that said, the gift is a blessing of the giver. The words rang out over loud in the still air. The Fremen escort kinds had left in the shade of the administration building, leaped up from their squatting repose and muttered in open agitation. One cried out, Lazana Gaib. Kind's world gave a curt chopping signal with his hand. Stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> stop being awkward. Be cool, be cool. <laughs> Wave the guard away. They fell back grumbling among themselves. And that's where the Lado kind of turns and goes, most interesting. Because Lado had told Paul, like, if everything goes haywire, you may want to, like, lean hard into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is it is interesting that on impulse, Paul, Paul says it. It's like something's been triggered in him. He, all of his training that his mom did has, like, 
centered in here and maybe there's something else behind that also called like trying to call forward because what also happens is they, they go through the suits, right? And and then Kynes comes re- kind of real close to the Duke at one point in time. And the Duke's like, yes, like you may come close and fix this. And Kynes is like, let's just go straight to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I can't. There were... Go ahead. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Paul was just trying to beat Hern- uh, Gurney to the quote of the day right there. You know, maybe... <laughs> Gurney, Gurney would have uh, busted out the quote before him, but he was like, ah, ah. threw it up. We're going to quote the OC Bible once, Gurney. I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, um, oh, here, right. Let's go back real fast. Well, that happens. And Kynes passed a hard glare over the Duke, and Paul said, Oh, no. Kynes looks over the Duke and Paul, and then he says, Most of the desert natives here are superstitious, lot. Paid no attention to them. They mean no harm. But he thought of the words of the legend. They will greet you with holy words and your gifts will be a blessing. Like, he just continued to hit on it over and over again. Um, do, 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 do. All right. So the kinds comes close to the Duke because he wants to, like, fix his steel suit up. Yeah. And the Duke is like, how delicate a moment. If I refuse, I may offend him. But I have to let him set my shield. You know, I have to, you know, go through it. Yeah. The Duke's like, we're in your hands. It's a show of gratitude. And then he was like, if you could, could you actually explain what everything does? Because these suits are not only f- weird, but they feel weird, but they they, they, they serve a purpose. What is it? Yeah. And so kind of like, of course, I love to teach people. That's my favorite thing to do. Here you go. Right. And he explains like every little detail about this thing, which is, which is interesting, like, Frank put that much thought into every piece of technology that um, that is in this book. And that's that's bananas, you know, like usually you can leave it to, you know. Oh, there's a button that does this or like, you know, kind of like SpongeBob theory where a SpongeBob has a has a campfire underwater. Then like, how did that happen? You're just like, yeah, that's fine. That totally makes sense. And in science fiction, you can do that way easier. Right. But he really thought through like the process of how the still suits work, which is pretty nuts. So it's a, he says it's a sandwich. Right. so there's two layers, one on the skin contact, which um, perspiration passes through. And then that goes into the next layer that cools the body, but it doesn't evaporate. And then you have, um, heat exchange filaments and salt precipitators, and the salt is reclaimed. Um, of course, he's saying all this while going through it, and the Duke lifts his arm as a gesture and said, most interesting. Kind says, breathe deeply. <gasps> and then Kind's kind of like wraps it around him. And he, um, the motions of the body, especially breathing, he said, and some of the osmotic action provide a pumping force. He loosened the chest fit slightly. Reclaimed water circulates to catch pockets from which you can draw through the tube. Right? He like says that's on his neck. Yeah. Yeah. And then the urine and the feces are processed in, in the thigh pads, Ooh. he said. Right? It's got to go somewhere. And in the open desert, you wear the filter across your face so moisture doesn't get out there. 
and the tube in the nostrils. So the weird thing is, so the tube that goes here um, are a tight fit, so you don't lose mo moisture there. And with a good Fremen suit in good working order, wear worn right, you won't lose more than the thimble, yeah, thimble full of moisture a day, even if you're caught in the Great Erg, which is the big desert. Yeah. That blew my mind. A thimble full, it's like, it's like a little, boop. I'm, I'm Wait, doing visual things and I forget that we're recording a podcast. So people are going to know what my sound effects mean. It's a really tiny, it's a really tiny vessel for. But if you want to see what Evan is doing, plug, we're also on YouTube reading Dune, which we record live on. So if you want to watch live, that's when we do it. And that's where we do it from. So make sure you subscribe, uh, hit that bell icon, ding, um, and you make sure you get uh, notifications. Back to the story. Good plug. Good plug. Thanks. I've been, I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we we know all this. He uh, kind of says it to Lido and kind of puts it all right. And then Lido turns to Paul. All right. Let's have let's have a look at you. And then Duke was like, good, he's going to take care of Paul as well. Paul stood passively as Kynes inspected his suit. It had been an odd sensation putting on the crinkly, slick surface garment. In his foreconscious, he had been absolute, he had, oh, let's start again. In the foreconscious, he had been the absolute knowledge that he'd never worn a still suit. Yet, each motion of adjusting the adhesion tabs under Gurney's inexpert guidance had seemed natural, instinctive. When he had tightened the chest to gain maximum pumping action for the motion of breath, he had known what he did and why. When he fitted the neck and the forehead, the forehead tabs tightened, he knew it was to prevent the friction of blisters. Kind straightened, stepped back with a puzzled expression. You've worn a still suit before? He asked. This is the first time. Then someone adjusted it for you. No. Your desert boots are slipped are fitted slip fashion at the ankles. Who told you to do that? It seemed the right way. It most certainly is. And Kynes rubbed his cheek, thinking of the legend. He shall know your ways as though born to them. We waste time, the Duke said. Wait, wait, way to go, Duke. Way to ruin a good moment. Right. So it's a prophecy coming true here, Alito. Can you back up for a second? Right, we're trying to save your son here. <laughs> But then again, there's that thing in that foreconscious, that thing that just pops up that Paul just instinctively knows because there's something inside of him telling him. Right. And I, and I pictured uh, when it said Gurney's inexpert advice, Gurney was like, I think uh, I think this has to go. And Paul's like, no, Gurney, get away from me. It, it, do it. <laughs> no, it's but Yeah, it's like Gurney says, oh, no, you do this. I've done it. I've done it this way my whole life. Like, this is the third time you put one on, Gurney. You don't know. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into the thopter, right? We got a, we got a long way to go. So they get in the thopter, and it's the um, the Duke insists on driving because what Duke doesn't? And uh, right. it's a soft, luxurious aircraft, not like the normal ones. So Lido, and this is our first view of the thopter and how it works, right? Lido fed power to the wings, felt them cup and dip once, twice, and they were airborne. 
10 meters, wings feathered tightly and after jets thrusting them upward a steep hissing climb. Southwest over the shield wall. I, uh, I tried really hard to imagine what this thing looks like, and I gotta say, I have no idea. No idea? No. Because at first, when they first said the name in the in the last chapter, I was like, oh, it's probably just like a helicopter. But then it's like wings cupping, and and I'm just like, I don't. I'd like to pride myself on my imagination, but I couldn't really figure out what it was supposed to look like i guess i'm just gonna have to watch the movie when it comes out uh yeah yeah that's definitely one way to look at it um a lot of the tech vehicles in frank herbert's world have an insect quality to them so later on the shield i mean the harvester will be kind of like a beetle resemblance um i think of i like to think of these as more of dragon dragonflies dragonflies okay so it has wings that actually like move up yes okay and and probably have extra motions that can cup the air so it can like hover a little bit better as well as extend out if they need to glide okay so kind of like stingray kind of vibe yeah thing all right that's that's i got kind of close but that helps a lot thinking of it as a dragonfly that helps a lot no yeah that's perfect all right so um, they're going over the shield wall. Bum, 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 So as they're going to go see this harvester, um, the Duke and Kynes kind of have a, a, a duel of the mind as they probe each other. It's kind of a tense conversation. Um, so they're going to the shield wall. And... Kynes is again looking at how water fat they are, almost resenting them for having so much water. Like, little do you know how rich you are. Um, so he noticed, the Kynes noticed that they, they all have shields. And the people struck Kynes, a strange combination of softness and armed strength. They're posed, there was a pose to them, totally unlike the Harkonnens. So, of course, um, Kynes is the judge of the change. So when the Harkonnens left and the Atreides arrived, Kynes is going to report to the emperor that everything went hunky-dory. And so, of course, Lido wants to know, hey, how am I doing? What are you going to tell, what are you going to tell uh, the emperor there? Tell him I'm doing a good job? So he says, uh, when, you report, when you report to the emperor on the change of government, you will say that we observe the rules, Lido said, and he glanced at Kynes. Kynes. Uh, the Arconans left, you came. And everything is as it should be. And this is one of many moments where the uh, Kynes' jaw tenses up. Like there's right. stuff he wants to say, but he can't. He's just kind of like reserved. He says, as, as a planetologist, judge of the change, I'm a direct subject of the Imperium. Like everything is as it should be. And then there comes the point where they ask about the spice. Paul asks about the spice. Paul always asks the best questions. Let's just put it that way. Right. So they're learning about the planet. And Paul goes, do you ever investigate the spice? Kinds turns. Paul noted the hard line on the man's cheek. More, uh, more tensing of the jaw there. 
Right. A curious question, my lord. Um, bear in mind, kinds, that this is now my fief. This is the Duke talking. Uh, my methods differ in those of the Harkonnens, and I don't care if you study the spice as long as you share what you discover. He glanced at the planetologist. The Harkonnens discouraged investigation of the spice, didn't they? Kind stared back. Uh, uh. And then Kind is like, wait, 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 are you trying to like get on my good side? Are you trying to like invite me into your inner circle right now? Right. What does this water soft invader inspe- expect? Does does he think me a fool enough to enlist with him? And then Kynes goes to say, like, yeah, I saw your propaganda. It's real good. Good job. Like you're not gonna not gonna bother me. Right. He's being kind of passive aggressive about it. It's like, yeah, I saw your posters, buddy. <laughs> friend. Yeah, sounds great. So of course then the Duke goes to the next topic he wants to know about. Um, which is the bases. Can the bases be used? Like, would you open up the bases to us? The Duke asked. Kind spoke curtly. They're his majesty's property. And then Duke is like investigating, like, were they going to be used? Could they be used? Could we use them? Kind started a hard stare at the Duke. Arrakis could be an Eden if its rulers would look up from grubbing from spice. Mm. The Duke, he didn't answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> Like, can we use them or not? Right. I think that's where Paul was like, ooh, they have a they have a pressure point there. Cause Kynes is is now, you know, he's got this dialogue in the back of his head always. Like, if I had my way, we'd fix this no problem. But right. have to. The Duke says, How is a planet to become an Eden without money? What is money? Kynes asks. If it won't buy you the services you need. Um, so then they, that conversation gets cut short because they're about to go over the shield wall. Right. And should they change, you know, course, but I think this goes to, um, how the Duke thinks about what he can do. Like if, if we have enough money, we can fix these problems. All we need is some more resources. Right. And kind, and kinds is like Lido and kinds are really after the same thing. You know, like they both want to make the planet a better place and like make it lush and vibrant and like work better. So you're just like not trying to not die all the time. Um, but Kine is, is he's still hesitant and he, I guess, I guess he wouldn't know that, right? He, they wouldn't know that each other has those the other one has those plans. Right. I think like, I think Kynes can kind of see that, but he, Lido is coming from the other world perspective. This is how we did everything back then. But Kynes is kind of saying like, money won't serve you any good here. You have to live first. And everybody wants the spice. Right. Like they can't even get the weather, like how it was trying to go to the guild to try to see if they could, you know, get weather satellites and the guild was like, nope, there is no price. No price that will do this. Like money doesn't matter at this point. Right. Because everybody needs the spice, so it doesn't matter. 
Um, all right, so they go over the shield wall. Paul looks out the window. Beneath him, the broken ground begin to drop away in tumbled creases toward a barren rock plain and a knife-edge shelf. Beyond the shelf, fingernail crescents of dunes marched towards the horizon. With the, here and there the distant of a dull smudge, a dark blotch of something he that was not sand. Rock outcroppings, perhaps? In the heat-addled air, Paul couldn't be sure. Paul's first question. Are there plants down there? Could you imagine looking out in the dunes and be like expansive everywhere and be like, whoa. Yeah. Like that first look at the, like you are just nothing in comparison. Right. Ugh. Like are there plants? And then Kynes does what Kynes does best and he gives a history, like a science lesson. Right. Talks about how there are light, there are latitude light zones where there are some, but most of the animals or the plants, in order to survive on Arrakis, have to steal water from each other. Mm -hmm. So everything has this vampiric quality to it. Yeah. Like, and and so Paul's like, so you mean they, they steal water from each other? The idea outraged him, but his voice betrayed his emotions. Kinds says it's done, but that wasn't primarily what he meant. You see, my climate, he says, my climate, demands a special attitude towards water. You are aware of water at all times. You waste nothing that contains moisture. Dukes, he said, my climate. It's his climate. Right. And uh, I think he was talking about, was he talking about people at that point when Paul asked that question? I think he was talking, he was talking about plants as well as there are some animals um, in the ecology of Arrakis that are, that eat anything with water okay the vibe the vibe that i got when i was reading it was like yes yeah, some of the people in the desert will steal water from other people if that's what they need to do to survive you know that's also what he's he's trying to say how like well we go back to what the reverend mother said way back in chapter one where he talks about like you in order to know a place you have to know the environment of the place right to survive. And so that is the environment of a place. So of course, in order to do that, people have, and we will meet some Fremen who have that, that very quality of taking water, quote unquote, from people. Okay, cool. Because it's worth something. And so then Paul goes back to like, I think what the whole point of this was like, will we actually see some spice mining today? Very likely, Paul said. Paul sat back down. He had used the questions and hyper-awareness to do what his mother called registering a person. He now had Kynes' tone of voice, detail and facial gestures, the, an unnatural folding of his left sleeve on the man's robe, told of a knife in the arm sheath, the waist bulged strangely. It was said the desert men wore a belted sash when they tucked small necessities away. Perhaps the bulge came from such a sash, certainly not a concealed shield belt. So basically, Paul was registering kinds. All right, I got you. I got you to talk enough that I can, like, yeah. if I need to manipulate you, I can. Yeah, he's just learning him bit by bit. <laughs> and then we have intermission where Gurney sings a song. 
<laughs> Halftime. <laughs> like, we're going somewhere. Gurney, you want to sing something? <laughs> so then they see a bird, right? And this is where, like, I don't think, yeah. Straight to the bird. Straight to the bird. Song, we see a bird. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did you want to sing a song? Is there something you want to talk to there? There's still the big moment I want to get to. I mean, no. I, it was funny that uh, Kynes tried to be salty about the whole thing. He's like, uh, you do travel with a light complement of guards. Are all of them such men of many talents? Basically saying like, uh, this your personal bodyguard is just some weird bard that's singing, like playing the guitar in the background. Like, are you kidding me? And then, you know, the Duke is like, no, Gurney's a badass, like. I, did, I like him with me for his eyes. His eyes miss very little. And then, like, Gurney starts, like, you know, proving yeah. how good he is. I thought that was memorable, but... <laughs> Whenever Gurney has a chance to sing, he does. Right. And I used to appreciate that Frank's like, oh, and by the way, Gurney sings. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, da-da-da-da, we're talking about birds. It's probably an eagle. Or maybe it's a thopter, or maybe it's something leaving. I think Kynes kind of brushes that off really fast. I have some theories of what it might be, but I don't know. It could just be theories, and it could just be an eagle. Well, it says the, uh, the other ship, the escort, like looked at it in full amplification, and they saw that it was a, it was a bird. Yeah. Do we, do we trust the other people, though? I mean, they're, they're Atreides, aren't they? I think so. There should be another ship going with them. But, yeah. Gosh. Can't trust anyone. Can't trust anyone. The Duke asked a really good question. Has anyone walked out of the desert? Halleck music stopped. He leaned forward to catch the answer. Not from the deep desert, Kind said. Men have walked out of the second zone several times. They survive by crossing rocks where the worms seldom go. Kind's voice held Paul's attention. He felt as a sense oh he felt in his sense come alert the way they were trained to do. Ah, the worms, the Duke said. I must see one sometime. You may see one today, Kind said. Wherever there is spice, there are worms. Always? Halleck asked. Always. Is there a relationship between the worms and the spice? The Duke asked. Kind's turns. And Paul saw his pursed lips as the man spoke. Again, he's doing that half-truth thing. Yeah. Tensing up, not wanting to give everything away. Kind says, they defend spice sands. Each worm has a territory. As the spice, who knows? Worm specimens have examined, we led us to suspect a complicated chemical interchanges within them. We find traces of hydrochloric acid in the ducts, more complicated acid forms elsewhere. I'll give you my monograph on the subject. Like, please just take my presentation. I don't want to explain all of it right now. Right, right. Mostly, I don't want to talk about it right now, and I'm probably trying to kill you really soon, so you won't even bother reading it. Yeah, he's low-key just trying to change the subject. Uh, worms and spice? Uh, well, you know, uh, there's uh, some hydrochloric acid. Don't worry about it. I'll send you a, I'll send you a, a take. Like, deep, deep, deep science-y words. Here, you'll read my study later. It's not important. Sneaky. And of course, the Duke asked the next question. Shields? 
Like, what do shields do? Shields, Kynes sneered. Activate a shield within a worm zone and you seal your fate. Worms ignore territory lines, come from far around to attack a shield. No man wearing a shield has ever survived such an attack. So, wear a shield in the desert, attract a worm. Instant death. So that's why no one wears shields in the desert. Fair enough. They also learned to kill a worm, you have to like shock all of the rings at the exact same time. Otherwise, it will just continue. Right. So all of the rings on like a mile long worm, that seems logistically difficult, you know? And I think a mile long worm would be a short worm. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So then Paul asks, like, have you exterminated them? Is there any, like, is there a way to do that? Kinds. He says, too expensive and too much area to cover. Paul leaned back in the corner. His truth sense, aware of the tone's shadings, told him that Kinds was lying, telling half-truths. And he thought, if there is a relationship between spice and the worms, killing the worms would destroy the spice. Ah. The plot thickens. The plot thickens. We need them worms. We need them. All right. So there we... We're going. Um, we, of course, Duke is like, don't worry about it. If we walk out, we have these transmitters. We'll be fine. Somebody will get us. And Kynes is like, that's very nice, but that's not going to work. Right. Good job. Um. And the Duke asks, okay, well, what would you do? And the, the kind is like, well, as a planetologist, do you want my advice? The Duke is like, yes. He's like, we'll never travel alone. What, hap- what if you're separated by a storm or washed down? Halleck asked. Is there anything you can do? <laughs> Kynes, anything covers much territory. Yeah. Which right there, like, that's some good juice, right? You just throw the word anything around willy-nilly. I'd be specific, please. We only get right. remember the rack is the only deal with possibilities. Yeah. Don't hypothetically me because it won't, it's going to kill you. <laughs> so Paul then says, um, what would you do? Kinds turns a hard stare at the boy, but brought his attention back to the Duke. I remember to protect the, the integrity of my still suit. So, then you can, if you have the still suit, you should be okay. If a worm comes, you wait for the worm to leave. And so if the worm is gone, then you could possibly walk out. But what do you trust with that? And you want to stay on the rocks because if you um, hit drum sands, it's, you'll also be dead. And so drum sands is like uh, where the sand isn't as compact. So if you hit it, it like sets off a chain reaction, like an avalanche around it, which of course draws the worm. Okay. I thought it was like the other way around. Like the, the sand is so compact that like when you step on it, it causes like a vibration. Yeah. I think there's, there's like pockets of it. Okay. And, but you don't know where the pockets are when you're walking. So it's best that you stay on the rocks. Right. And then the title dust basin, that 
is interesting. You want to talk about that? Uh, certain depressions in the desert have filled with dust over the centuries. Some are so vast they have currents and tides and will swallow the unwary who step into them. That's creepy. Like an ocean of sand that the moment you walk into it will just sweep you away. And I mean, if I, w- I would do what Gurney Halleck does upon hearing that, because I would sing a song. I think Evan froze. I think he's working on his internet. So we'll just continue on with the chapter. Um, But that's when Paul sees a dust cloud. Um, And so Kynes is like, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the dust cloud. If there's a dust cloud just like that, that's our harvester. Um. There's no, cloud, there's no cloud quite like it. And the Duke says, there are aircraft over it. And Kynes says, yes, there are two, three, four spotters. They're all watching for worm sign. Worm sign? The Duke asked. Worm sign? Yeah. So, they have the harvester. We'll just go into this. We don't have to go like, read every word of the chapter. Sorry, guys. Right. Um, you have the harvester, and above it, you would have a couple of thopters that would be looking out for worm sign because where there is harvester, the worms always come. Right. So you're looking for the sign. So when it happens, they can radio in and they can, McCary all can come pick up the harvester and take it back to safety or at least wait, go up until the worm passes and drop it back down. But that's how you collect your spice, keep everybody safe. That's like, that's time's up, time to go. We've collected as much as we can. Um, and so worm sign is, a, is usually a sand wave moving towards a crawler. They'll have seismic probes on the surface. Worms sometimes travel too deep for the wave to show. So you need to carry all around so they're always looking for it. The worm always comes, eh? Halleck asked. Always. So... Right then, you see who sees who sees the the worm sign. Leto, right away. Yeah. So the the craft became full thopter as the duke banked it, holding its wings to a gentle beat. Remember, we're thinking like dragonfly-ish kind of thing, pointing with his left hand off to the east beyond the factory crawler. Is that worm sign? Kynes leaned across the duke to peer at the distance. Ah, he's got pretty good eyes. Where the Duke pointed, a crest dune tracks spread as shadow ripples towards the horizon, and through them, as a level line stretching into the distance, came an elongated mount in motion, a cresting of sand. It reminded Paul of the way a big fish disturbed the water when swimming just under the surface. Mm-hmm. So they call him in, right? He calls in. Colin, Colin the Crawler, it's Delta Ajax Niner, worm sign warning. Crawling at Delta Ajax Niner, worm sign warning. Acknowledge, please. And that's when the guy's hearing, like, hey, who called that in? Yeah, that was a good spot. We need to make sure uh, whoever spots it gets the reward because, you know, got to motivate people. Right. Um, and, of course, the frequencies, Duke wants to know, is anybody else listening? No, it's just the frequency of those people right there because you know, worm and frequencies and everything else. Um, 
And they say, you know, Duke claims it. It's Duke Lido Atreides, it's your Duke. And then Halleck takes the mic. Now tell them to divide the bonuses among themselves. Tell them it's the Duke wishes. Kind of took a deep breath and then says, over, it's the Duke's wish that you divide the bonuses among your crew. Do you read? Over. Acknowledged and thank you, the speaker said. The Duke then turns. I forget to mention that uh, Gurney is also very talented in public relations. Not only is he a good singer, but he knows what the people want. <laughs> and he's got good eyes. He's got good eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and so now they're waiting for the carryall, but the carryall isn't there. Yeah. And kind is like, it should be coming close. Like, it should be here. I don't know where it is. And then Kynes is like, you also don't have a lot of equipment. Because the Duke is like, we need to have two carryalls for everything just in case this thing happens. We need to be over-prepared. And Kynes is quickly reminding him that you don't have the resources to do that. The Harkonnens took everything. Right. You're kind of donezo. Paul looked down, saw Stand still spewing out of the metal and plastic monster beneath them. That'd be the harvester. It looked like a great tan and blue beetle with many wide tracks extending on its arms around it. He saw a giant inverted funnel spout poked into the dark sand in front of it. Rich spice bed by the color, Kind said. They'll continue working until the very last minute. All right. So they're uh, key. They're keep going. Paul studied the yellow cloud belching from the crawler's pipe fence and looked out over the desert at the approaching worm track. Bum, 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 bum. So now they're trying to find uh, the carryall. Where'd it go? It's not there. Right. And it's the Atreides uh, men who are asking these questions of like, what happens if it's not there? Like, where would it have gone? Shouldn't we have heard from it by now? Something weird's going on. Hey, hey, and they they escalate the situation, you know? They definitely, yeah, like what's happening? Um, what What's going on? And, you know, kind of like, well, maybe something happened. Maybe it's been forced down. I don't know. But if the carryall isn't there, uh, the factory and all the spice go bye-bye, along with everybody inside of it, because the worm's going to come gobble everything up. And that's where the Duke kind of like he's he's running everything in his mind, how what all situations can happen. Um, and then he, he decides to take action. And what's he going to do? Um, the Duke is going to get everyone out and put them all on the thopters and just carry everybody away. So Kynes returned to the working frequency and a voice blasted from the speaker. Right, and the guys are like, "No, let us stay. We're almost at a full load. We can't leave that for the damn worm. Don't leave the spice." That's where the Duke grabs the mic. Damn the spice! The Duke barked. He grabbed back at the microphone. We can always get more spice. There are seats in their ships for all three of you. Draw straws and decide any way you'd like. But we're going. That's an order. He slammed the microphone back into Kind's hands and muttered, "Sorry." Has kind shook his injured finger. Yeah, he like hurt kinds in the process. But he oh. so like his original math was basically like we have space for 
everyone except three of them. And then it like he finds a way, right? Like by the end yes. of it, he finds a way to get everybody. Yeah, he throws he throws seats out and throws the shield generators out because we don't need shield generators anymore. And gets right. everybody in. Yeah. But now he's uh and Kinds is almost trying to not let it happen. He right. he's been like he's like, no, don't land. The sand, the sand is too soft. There are too many men. It's not gonna work. And besides, if you put this many men on, you're gonna snap the wings. Like, what's gonna happen? The Duke says, not on this ship. Now his this is his ship. The wings right. tipped back, break the thopter to a skidding stop within 20 meters of the factory. The crawler went silent now. No sand spouting from its vents, only a me- faint mechanical rumble. Becoming more audible as a duke, as a duke opened his door. Immediately, their nostrils were assailed by an odor of cinnamon, heavy and pungent. That would be the spice. <sighs> With a large flapping, the spotter aircraft glided down to the sand on the other side of the crawler. The duke's own escort swooped in in line to land with him. So I got the thopters on the ground. Paul, looking out of the factory, saw how the thopters were dwarfed by it. Gnats decided a warrior beetle. Just to give you scope and size. Right. Huge. And then no one's coming out of the machine yet. And Kynes is like, yeah, they're hoping that the carry all will show up they still have a few minutes if it shows up they save everything all turned to look in the same direction looking for the worm there was no sign of it but there was a heavy charged feeling of anxiety in the air um this is where the duke it gets too close to handle for him too much is going on right and he he keys in the working frequency and barks. All right, you and Delta Ajax Nine are out now. This is a command from your Duke on the double, or I'll cut that crawler apart with a laser gun. The hatch snapped open near the front of the factory. Another in the rear. Another on the top. They all just start like, oh, oh God, don't shoot me, man. Come on. I'm just trying to do my job, man. Don't please don't kill me. A tall man in patched work robes was the last to emerge. He jumped down the track and then to the sand. The Duke hung the microphone on the panel. Two men in each of the spotters. Four over here, the Duke shouted. Four into that ship back there. He jabbed a finger at the escort, thopter directly behind him. The guards were just wrestling the shield generators out. Four into that ship over there. Run, run. The tall man finished counting on the office crew, came swogging off the sand, followed by three more companions. I hear the worm, but I can't see it, Kind said. You feel the Jaws-like moment that's about to happen there? Oh like dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Terrifying. <laughs> the Duke is like, damn sloppy way to operate. What are you guys doing? We got to do better around here. Aircraft began flapping off the sand around them. It reminded the Duke of his time in his home planet jungles when a sudden emergence into the clearing and a carry-on birds lifted away. The spice workers slogged to the side of the thopter and started climbing in behind the Duke. And this is where you see them. Paul can smell them. Perspiration of fear 
He saw that two of the men had poor neck adjustments on their still suits. He filed that back in his memory for future action. <laughs> right. This is Paul being a robot, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Save that one later. Yeah, definitely. That's the Mentab brain kicking in. The last man came gasping into the rear and said, the worm is almost honest. Blast off. The Duke slid into his seat, frowning. Said, we still have almost three minutes on the original contact estimate. Is that right, Kynes? Almost exactly, my lord, Kynes said. This is a cool one, this Duke. That's what he thought. Right. This guy's on top of things. This is All right. Interesting. Little does he know what a worm looks like yet, but he's pretty good. I'd want to get out if I were him. The Duke nodded, watched the last of his escort take off. He adjusted the igniter, glanced once more at the wings, the instruments, and punched in the jet sequence. The takeoff pressured the Duke and Kynes deep into their seats, compressed the people in the rear. Kynes watched the way the Duke handled the controls. Gently, surely, the Thopter was fully airborne now, and the Duke studied his instruments. And they're like, all right. And that's where Halleck is like, we're really heavy. And then Duke is like, I got this. I wouldn't, I would not risk this. Right. Oh, he, he makes a, he makes a very, uh, uh, he just says something like really smart right there. Uh, he said, dang it, where is it? He said something along the lines of, I wouldn't risk this cargo. And this cargo, he's not talking about spice, obviously. He's talking about the men. Humans. And in doing so, he's generating trust in the men and to Kynes himself, you know. And Gurney even, like, smiles at it. He's like, you're right. I know. You you know? Um, so Yeah. Worth mentioning. No, because Kynes this whole time was like, this stupid spice. If everyone's focused on the spice, if we stop focusing on the spice better things will happen. If we focus on the people, better things will happen. This right. Duke is now echoing kinds of his own moral thoughts about how you should treat people. And so kinds is now starting to like, wait, what? The Duke banked the craft in a long, easy curve, climbing over the crawler. Paul crushed into the corner because, you know, he's stuck with a bunch of sweaty dudes now. He's, good thing he's got a window seat. <laughs> Stared down at the silent machine on the sand. The worm sign had broken off about 400 meters from the crawler, and now there appeared to be turbulence in the sand around the factory. The worm's now beneath the crawler, Kind said. You are about to witness a thing few have seen. Mostly because they die if this happens. Right. <laughs> Flecks of dust shadowed the sand around the crawler now. The big machine began to tip down to the right. A gigantic sand whirlpool began to form there to the right of the crawler. It moved faster and faster. Sand and dust filled the air now for hundreds of meters around. Then they saw it. A wide hole emerging from the sand. Sunlight flashed upon the glistening white spokes within it. The hole's diameter was at least twice the length of the crawler. Paul estimate. He watches the machine slid into the opening of that billow of dust and sand, and the hole pulled back. Gods, what a monster, muttered a man beside Paul. Got all of our flog and spice, <laughs> growled another. <laughs> Someone's going to have to pay for this, the Duke said. I promise you that. 
In the silence that followed, they heard Kynes. Bless the maker and his water, Kynes muttered. Bless the comings and the goings of him. May his plashage cleanse the world. May he keep the world for his people. What are you, what are you saying? The Duke said. But the Kynes remained silent. Paul glanced at the men crowded around him. They were staring fearfully at the back of Kynes' head, and one of them whispered, Liette. Kynes turned scowling. The man sank back abashed. So Liette is the term that we know that how it knows that all the Fremen call as the leader of the, the Fremen is Liette. Gotcha. So Kynes is the leader of the Fremen. I missed that completely when I was reading through. So. Oh yeah, yeah, you're supposed. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. This, it's nice to have a little context, especially when you're re- even if you're reading fast. This is the stuff you miss. Like, wait, what? Right. That was because it's mentioned once, twice. Um. And kind of doesn't want them to know how powerful he actually is. That's right. why he turns around scowling, like, "Don't, don't give away my cover here, man." Yeah, kind of just like, like time after time, looking at the these like the, his his people or whatever. He's like, "Be cool, baby. Damn, <laughs> stop, please." <laughs> they can't. Don't don't let them know. And this is where the men kind of like kind of talk back and forth, and then Paul is kind of listening. Um, I think Paul is observing them at this point. Who are these people? Who are these men? Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Leto began easing his thopter out of its great banking circle, stopped at the new sign of movement on the sand. The worm had withdrawn into the depths, and now, near where the crawler had been, two figures had been seen moving north away from the sand depression. They appeared to glide over the surface with hardly any lifting of dust to mark their passage. Who's down there? The Duke barked. Two Johnnies who came along for the ride, said a tall man. Why wasn't something said about them? Uh, it was a chance they took, sir, the Dune man said. My lord, said Kynes, these men know it's little use to do anything about men trapped in the desert in worm country. And the Duke was like, we'll send a ship for them. No, we know. How you should know we leave no men behind at this point. What are you doing? Right. And kind is like, as you wish, but likely they'll be dead by the time anybody gets here. And the Duke was like, we'll send a ship anyway. Paul and his critical brain, they were right beside where the worm came up. How did they escape? And then the side of the hole caved in and made the distances deceptive, kind said. So he's basically saying they were actually weren't that close, but they probably were. Right. Then Halleck was like, uh, you're wasting fuel. We need to get back. There's a lot more people on here. Paul thought about what the Dune men and Kynes had said. He sensed half-truths, outright lies. The man on the sand had glided across the surface so surely, moving in a way obviously calculated to keep from luring the worm back out of the depths. Fremen, Paul thought. Who else would be so sure on the sand? Who else might be left out of your worries as a matter of course, because they were in no danger. They know how to live here. They know how to outwit the worm. Mm. 
Paul asked then, uh, Kynes, he asked him, he goes, what were Fremen doing on the crawler? And again, Kynes whirls around. Like, what are you doing? And this is, yeah, Kynes is just, again, caught in his head over and over again. Like, who is this kid? And he remembers the words of the legend. It was on El Gaib shall see through all subterfuge. Paul is just like, oh man, he's he's. I'm constantly amazed at how smart Paul is because he just asks a leading question, and he got the answer he wanted. From yes, their reaction. You know, clearly you're hiding something from me, so I'm just gonna say what we're Fremen doing on that crawler, and kind turning around and being all upset and the 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 worker is kind of like who's this good and he's like you can't tell Fremen just by looking at them stop it stop and he gets upset and paul's like all right so they were Fremen uh <laughs> yes paul heard the falsehoods in their voices and felt the menace and Alec even evenly got like instinctively guarded, like the tension in the room, like you're obviously hiding something. Paul spoke dryly. Right. A terrible place for them to die. Like he's gonna, you know, lead into that. Without turning, Kind said, When God hath ordered a creature to die in a particular place, he causeth that creature's wants to direct him to that place. Which is so grim. It is so grim. Leto turns and gives a hard stare at Kynes. It reminds me of, I wrote here. Um, okay, so this quote, when God has one, so when God wants a creature to die in a certain place, he creates that creature's wants and desires to go to that place. It mirrors the same thing that the B'nai Gesserit quote that uh, Lady Margaret Fenring says the proximity of a desirable thing tempts in an overindulgence and on that path lies danger. The thing you want could kill you if you get too close to it. And if God had wanted you to die in a certain place. Yeah. The two quotes are like saying the same thing from different vantage points. Yes. That's super interesting. So like maybe, cause we know, we know that there's nothing for the father. Right. What if God has ordained Leto to die here in the Fremen way of thinking about it? Because all of his wants and desires for nobility, for doing the right thing, has led him to this juncture to take in a bet he cannot win. Like he wants, it's this weird thing of like your wants and desires leading you to a place where you are ultimately doomed. Like, is there a way around it? When God hath said you will die here, this is where you will die. Yeah. Gosh. <sighs> All right. So then we get the last little bit in this chapter where Kynes, it kind of looks inward to himself. As Kynes returns to stare, he found himself troubled by the fact that he had observed here. One, this duke was concerned more with his men than over the spice. He risked his own life that they would save the men. He passed over the loss of the spice crawler with a gesture. The threat of the men's lives had him in a rage. A leader such as that would command fanatic loyalty. He would be difficult to defeat. 
Against his own will and all previous judgments, Kynes admitted to himself, I like this Duke. Right and, there, he went from like a sneaky, evil, like villainous person at the beginning of this chapter to like, I like this guy. You know, I thought yeah. that was awesome as I as we as I read through this chapter. It's just like a complete one eighty shift, just from Leto being the way he is and like standing like standing up for what he believes in. You know. Right, yeah, and just the way that Leto is, kind of it he does. That's what the same thing in the quote, like the Padasha Emperor. Like, I like this dude. I wish I wish he could be the next emperor uh if things worked out, but politically it doesn't and he has to die. It's just rough for the Duke. Right. And that brings back the whole thing where where Leto is just not happy with the system. You know, because yeah. even the emperor isn't really happy with the system. He's like, oh, man, this uh, this duke is just such a good man. He's like so righteous. There's like something about him that I wish he could be the emperor. But because of our BS politics and all this like mucking about that we have to do to like follow policy, like he has to die instead of becoming the emperor. You know, I love how like I know where this ends. You have no idea, but I know people. I know people that have read this book and still not captured the thematics like you just did of the entire book, like how the systems we wish to govern ourselves. We know what is morally right, but somehow there's something that just we don't like it, but that's just the way it is. How do you change and get around that? Kynes is trying, right? He knows that Spice is the only thing they care about, but right. they know Arrakis could be a garden. So he's so he's like singularly focused on that outcome, and he will do anything in his power to do that. And if that means he lived in the, under the Harkonnens for generations. So, like, if they die, they'll continue under the Harkonnens. They'll, under any ruler, they will continue to do what they do. He doesn't care as long as the Fremen keep doing what they're doing. Which is why I think he agreed to kill the Duke without knowing him, but now he likes him. Right. Uh, I'm excited to see where this goes now because the introduction of Kynes is like, the introduction of Kynes was interesting and then this like shift in how he feels about the Duke makes it even more interesting. So not knowing where this is going, I'm like, what's kinds going to do next because well yeah what is kinds going to do next how does this all work and we got to see our first sandworm it was minor but crazy action sequence as it devours an entire factory right and i mean kinds said it was a big one yeah it was so, so the the mouth was like two sizes like the factory easily fell into it right this is exciting oh um as we're recording this the the, i think i think it's the first trailer for the for the new movie for the new dune movie just came out right yeah you know it dropped uh this week 
Um, to which this scene is in the trailer, which is amazing. Right. And I've been avoiding everything that has anything to do with the movie, like the plague. But now I'm seeing this trailer pop up on like every platform that I'm on, like every social media thing is like, and I'm just like scrolling really quickly past it. I don't know how much longer I can, I can do this, man. Like, I think I'm just going to have to go and watch the trailer and see the photos and, I mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it will spoil anything. It's a trailer. Right. But I was just, I was trying to have my imagination be my imagination for once, you know, like. I, no, I, I feel that. The Rings after watching Lord of the Rings and like that, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I think I, next episode, you will find out if I gave into the temptation or not. <laughs> I can tell you I've watched the trailer at least 15 times. <laughs> Came out like two days ago. Right. My, my, I'm just, you know, always kind of, I'm just going over and over and over again. Because I, of course, we know the scenes. And there's been lots of scenes that we've already gone over that's in the trailer that you will recognize. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Like first chapter scenes. Yeah. Right. And you're going to know a lot of the quotes. It will be, yes. I'm 100. Yeah, we have we have a couple more chapters um, before things really get unhinged. But yeah. we have another long one next week. Um, a lot of politics on this next one. But if you wanted to find us on Twitter or on Twitter at Reading Dune, email us anything you want, really. Pictures of worms that you find in your backyard or anything you know about doing that may be helpful to this podcast. I'd love to uh, get my hands on that. You can email us at, you can email us at reading at gmail.com. Also, we are live also every time we do this on uh, Twitter at reading Dune and on YouTube reading Dune. Please also, you know, give us a review on Apple podcasts and Spotify. We're also on those platforms. That would be very nice. Evan loves to every every little comment we get. I show Evan, and he it's like it's like his birthday every time it happens. I love it. It's like wait, there's actually real human persons out there consuming this content. This is amazing. We have like 20 followers. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm having fun. You're having fun, and yeah. Dune is amazing. It is. It is pretty amazing. I'll give you that. All right, friends. Well, you make sure to stay spicy, and I will see you next chapter.